Good morning, church. This week's scripture reading is from Romans 6, verses 17 to 23. Please have your Bibles out, and we can read this together. Thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standards of teaching of which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have been slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to give you thanks for today. Today is Father's Day. It is a day that we celebrate our fathers, but first we want to celebrate you as our Supreme Father, our Holy Father, our Heavenly Father. We want to give you the thanks for the support that you have given us from before we were even born, that it is by your hand that you placed us in the family that we are in now. It is by your hand that you have raised us to be the person that we are now. And it is by your hands that we have been freed from sin by the hand of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the free gift of salvation that frees us from the slavery of sin, but instead make us willing servants of the righteousness. Lord, that we are no longer bound to do the things of wickedness that leads to death, but instead we love and desire to do the things that leads to eternal life. Lord, it's not because of these uh, deeds that we do that leads, that leads to an eternal life. But no, it, it is that we are already on the path of eternal life. That we do these deeds because that is who we are. We are your sons and daughters. And we are your prince, your, uh, the prince and princesses of your kingdom. And we are co-heirs in Christ. And in that we find our identity and we live out who we truly are. And that is to do the things that not only pleases you, but also brings glory to you and also is right for ourselves. That does not lead to our destruction, but leads to our final destination. And that is eternal life with you. So Lord, we want to give you thanks uh, today and each and every day. But today is a special day that we honor you as uh, our Heavenly Father, uh, Father of all fathers, Lord. And I pray this all in Christ's name, amen. I'm really excited about the fact that we're going to be opening uh, next Sunday morning uh, here at the church. And, uh, you know, those that, that feel comfortable with coming, we're going to be doing all the, the necessary uh, things to make the socialization proper by CDC guidelines. Uh, but we're looking forward to having you here in the church building uh, next Sunday. So uh, join us on June 28th 
at uh, 9.30 for Sunday school, 11 o'clock for the morning worship service. Now we're looking at, at this text here in uh, Romans chapter 6. And the, uh, the Greek translation uh, of the, uh, or the Greek writing of this text has for us the words uh, doulos, which means slaves. However, it also has the meaning of servant. And in this passage, in some places, servant makes more sense than slave. You see, slave has this negative connotation to it. And thus the word really works when we're talking about sin, that we are enslaved by sin. But when it comes to the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ, the idea of servant makes more sense. And when it comes to servanthood, no one shows us better how to be a servant than our Lord Jesus Christ. I consider his words in Mark 10, where he says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Though he was the Son of God, he did not ask for people to kowtow to him, to bow down to him, but rather he said he came to serve and even die for us. And he continues that work even today. You see, the Bible says that he is interceding for us, that he is caring for us, that he has granted us his spirit to live within us, that, that he is giving us all the things that are necessary for us to live out eternal life. And that's powerful. So when we come to this passage in Romans chapter 6, we ought to be filled with joy and rejoicing because it means that Jesus Christ is at work in us. How do we know that? Because Paul calls us to act. And a dead person, a person dead in their trespasses and sins, a dead person can't act. They can't serve. They can't do anything for the sake of God in this kingdom. So as we look at this passage today, let's rejoice as we consider this theme from it, and that is, in the whole of our faith, God works, and we respond. I want you to think about what that means for a moment, that God works, and we respond. You know, Christian teachers go to both extremes. Some focus on God working, that God is sovereign, and that he gives us his grace, and he, he does all these fantastic things for us, and it's almost as if we sit back and we don't do anything at all. And then there's the other side of it that says, well, yes, God works, but, but we have to act. We have to do the things. We have to please God. We have to, to respond in such a way that, uh, that we live out the Christian life. And the emphasis is on what we do. But the biblical response is halfway between those two things. God works and we respond. The emphasis of that is shown to us here in Romans 6. And so we want to take a look at what that means. And let's start with talking about what it means to say that God works. So I want you to notice how God's irresistible action creates thanksgiving in the Apostle Paul. God's irresistible action, his, his work, causes Paul to be filled with a sense of thanksgiving. You know, when we studied the first part of Romans 6, which we've been doing for the last three weeks, it talked about the truth of what 
God was doing, and it, it used in the early part of chapter 6 the illustration of baptism. And as it talked about baptism, it, it showed us the power of God in that Jesus Christ, in his death, took our sin on him, and then in his resurrection, he brought life to us. And that is the symbolism of baptism. As you go down in the water and you come back up, and signaling our death with Christ and our resurrection with him to new life. But in that, we did nothing and God did everything. God took our sins and placed them upon Jesus Christ. God is the one who purposed for Jesus Christ to die in order to pay the penalty for our sins. He is the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead so that we could be raised up to new life with him. No wonder Paul then breaks into this, this celebration of thanksgiving in verse 17 when he says, but thanks be to God. In the Bible, God is always the hero. Why is that? Because, because God is always working powerfully for his glory and for our good. There's nothing that we do. God does it all. He is powerful, sovereign, and wonderful. So, let's take a look at what it is that Paul says he is thankful for as God works. Notice first that God's irresistible action creates an internal obedience. That is an awesome truth. I want you to reflect on that. Sure, Christians are called to act in obedience. But we are not called to obey contrary to our own will. God doesn't put before us a list of things that we are supposed to do and then somehow hold us accountable for all of those things. Sometimes when I hear Christians talk, you'd, you'd almost think that God is sort of like a, an ogre up there in heaven you know, and, and he is sitting there and letting Satan attack us with all these temptations and, and all the demonic work that's at work in this world. And God's kind of sitting there going, huh, let me see if you can take that. Let me see if you can, can make it through that. Can you defeat this sin in your life? But nothing could be farther from the truth. Here's what Paul says that he is thankful for in verse 17. He says, I'm thankful that you were once slaves of sin, but you have become obedient from the heart. We were slaves, but now there's been a heart change, a, a change of our desires, a change in our passions. The want to of our lives has been recalibrated. Before, we were caught up in the passions of sin, but now God has recalibrated our heart our passions, our desires, so that they line up more with what God desires than what sin desires. In other words, God has given us a heart transplant. You see, Paul is really drawing upon Ezekiel chapter 11 when he talks this way. In Ezekiel 11, we read this. God says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I'll put within them, and I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Uh, what are we supposed to do? We're going to obey them. 
That's willingly, gladly, joyfully obey. Why? Because God has taken the dead, enslaved hearts and removed those, and he's given us a living, vibrant heart, freed from sin's power, so that we can desire to obey God and to love him and serve him. That's a powerful truth. Let's just take a moment ourselves right now and give thanks to God for this new heart that he's given to us. Father, we thank you and we worship you because you have taken out of us that heart of sin that was enslaved to sin. And you have removed that and you put a new heart within us so that we might have a heart that beats to your heart of passion for your things and an obedience that flows from that new heart. We give you the thanks and praise in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a second thing, though, that that Paul is thankful for. He's not only thankful that we now have this, this heart that longs to obey God, but notice how God's irresistible action, his, his work in us, creates an imprinted obedience. What, what does that mean, an imprinted obedience? Well, God not only gave the believer a new heart, but he imprinted the truth into that new heart. Romans 8 calls it the law of the Spirit. Look at the next phrase in verse 17. You became obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching. That word standard means a pattern or an imprint. God imprinted a pattern of the Christian faith into that new heart. And that's so cool. When I, when I first uh, started learning about computers and I got my first computer, when I got it, I thought that when I got the computer, all I had to do is plug it in and I could start working. Instead, I, I plug it in and there was nothing to work on. I learned that I had to go out and purchase software to download into that uh, new computer. Well, you know, God has given us a new heart. But it's not like a computer. He's given us a new heart that already has the software in it. God has given this new heart and he's put the software of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Christian life into that new heart. And we may have to learn how to use that spiritual software, but it is already downloaded by the Holy Spirit into our lives. There's a third phrase, though, that, that Paul is talking about when he says, I've, and he's giving thanksgiving to God for it. And that third one is that God's irresistible action creates an indentured obedience. I, I can hear you now. You're going, aha, yes, I knew there was a catch to this. An indentured obedience. To be indentured, is, isn't that almost like being a slave? Well, not quite. You see, we need to understand the difference between being a slave and being an indentured servant. A slave is an unwilling participant. However, an indentured servant desires to serve. They put themselves underneath a true master in some area so that master can then teach them and train them in that new skill. But Paul has something even better in mind for us. 
He ends this glorious statement in verse 17 with this phrase. He says, to which you were committed. No, he doesn't say to which you committed yourself. No, God is the one who committed you to this new life. You have to keep in mind Paul's audience. He is speaking to individuals in that first century in Rome that are mostly slaves. Most of them are Gentiles, but some of them are Jews, Jewish slaves that have uh, been serving as indentured servants of some kind. But some of them have terrible taskmasters. They, they, they are slaves of a, of a terrible master. And Paul is drawing on what they knew firsthand from having those taskmasters, those, those horrible slave masters. But you know, one of the things about being a slave was that you could be sold. You could be moved from one master to another. And so Paul is putting this picture before us. He says, you're in bondage to this terrible taskmaster called sin. But through the death of Jesus Christ, God has bought you out of that slavery. And he has brought you into his household. And now, rather than being a mistreated slave, you have become an indentured servant who is learning from our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, how to be a free person. And why did God do this for us? Notice God's irresistible action. His work in us creates an inheritor of obedience. See, God brought you out of death's grip, gave you this new heart, imprinted the truth of the gospel in that new heart so that you might be adopted into his family and become his heir. <laughs> Did you hear me? You know what that means? It, it, what it means to, to be the heir of God himself? That's mind-boggling. It's, it's an unbelievable truth, and yet it's real. And that's the glorious meaning of verse 18, where it says, And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. God has done all of this. Sin had us enslaved. We were ridden with the, the fear of death that had ruined our lives. And God steps up to the auction block. He bought us with the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He brought us then into his family, bringing us from death to life through a heart transplant. He implanted in our mind and our heart the image of his son. He promised that we would become an heir of all that he possessed. And as a result, we serve righteousness because we know that as sons of God, we are his heirs. No wonder then that Paul has broken out into thanksgiving. It's a fantastic truth. And so my friends, I ask you, do you, do you grasp what the scripture is saying to us here? If we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, the reality is we have a new heart, a new love for God's truth, a desire to follow Christ in obedience. And we are free persons no longer slaves of sin, but heirs of righteousness. With Paul, you and I should be rejoicing in this truth. 
thanking God for the mighty work that he has done in our lives. There should be tears of joy at times as we ponder these great truths that come down our face as we understand how awesome God's work is on your behalf and on mine. We should break out into song. We should even dance for our God is great and his wonders never cease. So far in this message, Pastor Chris has helped us understand the wonderful work of God in a Christian's life that brings about radical changes through a spiritual heart transplant. In a moment, he will share with you how we ought to respond to what God has done. If you want to know more about the truths presented in this message, please contact us by email at metbaptist.outlook.com or write us at Metropolitan Baptist Church, 1624 84th Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11214. You may also view past messages on our website at www.metbaptist.com. If all goes well, we will hold our first service back in the church building on June 28th. We are excited about this possibility and look forward to seeing you all as we gather in the presence of the Lord. We will be prepared for social distancing and follow the guidelines the CDC suggests. Prayerfully consider joining the live worship and fellowship when we open. As we revel in the wonders of, of God's work, what should be our response? For while we are filled with gratitude, it's not gratitude that motivates us to live in obedience. It is a new life that he has given to us that motivates a response within the believer. Therefore, let's see what God says uh, here in this scripture passage about the second half of our theme, that God works and we respond to that work. You see, just as we have seen God's irresistible action creating thanksgiving in the Apostle Paul and also in us. So we realize that man's intentional reaction creates transformation. I mean, suppose that you had been enslaved by some terrible tyrant. One day, a man comes along and, and he buys you out of that slavery. Your expectation is that it's just going to be one tyrant to the next, that you're going to be treated horribly because this is now just a new master. But instead, he brings you to a doctor. That doctor takes care of all your wounds and, and anything that's, that's wrong with you, uh, maybe even treating you for worms and, and any other uh, parasite that you might have. And, and, and then you're given a, a, a bath, right? You're cleaned up in given new clothing. Then you're driven home, but you're driven home in the, the same car, in the same uh, seat as the master. You arrive home and you're given a bedroom in, in the main house. There is no slave quarter. There are, there are no whips. There are no chains. You eat meals with the master and his family. You're treated as one of the family. It might take you a few days, maybe even a few weeks, to come to the realization that this is, this is not a dream. This is, a, this is real. And your heart is filled with thanksgiving. But then, as you 
live in that household, you begin to see that everyone in that family is doing chores. They're washing the dishes, they're cooking the meals, they're cleaning the house, they're working out in the gardens, they're feeding the animals. Everybody is working within that house. Now, are you just going to sit around and and say, well, thank you for buying me uh, a way. Thank you for setting me free. Well, at first, that might be where you're at, but, but it won't take you long before you'll begin rising up in the morning and you'll begin to join in those chores. You're going to, to be asking, what is it that I can do around this house? How can I serve here? Why are you doing that? You're doing it because your life has been changed. Now you want to serve. What you were forced to do with a whip in the past, you now desire to do because of a changed life. And that's what Paul means in verse 19. He says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Once, Sin forced you, he's saying, to do those things that were destructive, and it just led to more destructive life. But now you have this new heart. Now this new heart has the imprinted uh, software of the Holy Spirit. This Christ is placed in you. And you begin to desire to do those things that are going to please your new master. To please God. And that's what Paul is talking about there in verse 19 when he says that you present your members, that is, your body and all that you are, you present that as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. You live out that new life. But Paul doesn't leave us guessing as to how this This transformation is supposed to take place and and what it looks like. He explains that for us with four truths. First, man's intentional reaction leads to repentance. You know, here's the key to understanding whether or not you are a, a true believer in Jesus Christ, whether you've been born again. Are you ashamed of the old way of life? You see, those who receive this new heart and the power of the Holy Spirit's as he imprints that, that new law into that heart, they've had their eyes opened. They can look back on their past life, and it sickens them. They realize just how bad that was. You know, we have uh, uh, some homeless people on the streets of, of New York, and over my years of ministry, I've worked with a number of them, trying to help them to get off the streets and and into programs that are going to improve their lives so they become uh, solid citizens again. But in most of those cases, the homeless person has rejected that help. They're satisfied with living in that life out there. But now and again, there's an individual who accepts the help. And they go into a program and they, they get cleaned up they get a shave, and, and they, they get their hair cut. Uh, they get the bath, and, and they begin to uh, learn what it is to change their behaviors. 
And when they do that, and they look back on their former way of life out there in the street, what they had become comfortable with almost, they look back on it and they're ashamed of what they were and what they looked like. That's what Paul is saying happens to a person when they come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. He talks about it in verse 20 and 21. He says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That is, the homeless person is satisfied with being out there in the midst of that world without a home, without regular food, without having to be cleaned up. They feel free. But what fruit were you getting at the time, he goes on and says, from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You see, every non-Christian is spiritually homeless. They're caught up in the stink and the, the, the filth of sin. But when Jesus Christ opens our eyes and, and we begin to, to see this new life in comparison to what we were living, we're ashamed of that sin that enslaved us in our past. And I wonder if you've come to that in your life. Are you ashamed of the sin that, that once held you in its grip? Has your heart's desire so changed that that past life is repugnant to you? If you claim to be a Christian, but you're still enslaved in that sin, maybe to drugs, maybe to sexual misconduct, maybe to bitterness and unforgiveness, maybe to manipulation of other people, if you still love those things, then you need to repent. You need to ask God to make those things a stench in your nostrils. And then with repentance comes the second response that we have. Man's intentional reaction or response leads to rehabilitation. You see, when God opens a person's eyes, they see the tragedy of the world and the way that, that they used to live. And they repent of that. And then they enter into a process of rehabilitative change. Paul tells us that the reaction to being ashamed of our former way of life is going to lead to the response that we see in verse 22. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin, you become slaves of God. That's a glorious truth. That God has set us free. We just talked about that. The stinking way of life that we had in the past, God has set us free from that. He's given us a different set of priorities. And now what the scripture is saying is that we need to follow the principle of putting off and putting on. All through the, the, uh, the scripture, we hear Paul or, or other writers say, put off this area of your life and Put on this new life. You put off the dirt and, and you get a haircut and a shave. You put off the rags and in its place you put on the clean clothes. When you're a homeless person that is coming in off the street. You put off sin and you put on righteousness. When you move from being a spiritual homeless person into one who has become adopted into God's family. Peter has this to say about those who claim to be Christians, but they've never had that heart change. Listen to what he says. 
For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. That's just what Paul has been saying through this section. He goes on, For if after they've escaped the defilement of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. You know, this is illustrated by Jesus in the, the prodigal son parable where the son is in the pig pen and is eating the food of the pigs and kind of wallowing in that muck of the pig pen. And then the scripture says he comes to his senses and he leaves the pig pen. Why does he do that? Because there's a heart change. There's, a, there's that attitude change. Now, after that heart change, a person might trip and fall into a mud puddle. But they don't lie there. They don't wallow around and they go, oh, I love wallowing in the mud. I love being like a pig. And you may vomit, but you don't lap it up like a dog. In other words, a person might slip into sin. But because of that changed heart, when they realize it, they hate it. They repent of it. And they ask God to rehabilitate their thoughts and their heart. When you sin, don't stay in it. Confess it to God. Open up his word, because in his word you will find strength. Call on your mentors or elders to, to pray with you. And that's what it means to put on righteousness. When you have that new heart, you should be ashamed of the old life. Desire that new life that flows out of faith in Jesus Christ. But there is a third response to this grand work that God has done in the life of a Christian. Notice man's intentional reaction leads to righteousness. Repentance leads to rehabilitation, which leads to righteousness. Anyone who is a true Christian is putting off the old and they're putting on the new. The scripture declares of Jesus Christ that he begins a new work in you and he will not quit until it's done. He doesn't let you remain in that pig pen. He's given you his spirit to sanctify you. Those of you who are memorizing Romans 8 along with the, the rest of the church family, you've begun to understand that great reality as is, is Paul lays that out for us in verses 1 through 16. Therefore, Paul declares, since God has done this awesome work in you, then the evidence is that, of that is going to be what we see in the second half of verse 22. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. You see, when the Apostle Paul compares this old life and the new life that we have in Christ, he uses this fruit terminology. Because fruit is produced by the type of plant that it comes from. In verse 21, Paul's asking a very important question. What fruit, he said, did you have in your former life? Uh, one of our recent devotionals talked about the durian fruit. Of 
Durian fruit, we were told, has this horrible smell. It smells like a mixture of, of turpentine and vomit and dirty socks and, and whatever other smell that you really hate. So much so that in some cities, you're not allowed to take that durian fruit even on uh, any of the public transportation or even in to a taxi cab. Well, Paul says, that's what the fruit of sin is like in your life. But when there's a heart change, there's a different kind of fruit. This fruit comes up as a, from that new life as a sweet-smelling savor unto God. Let me say this again. If the heart is changed, what is going to be manifested in your life is going to be the fruit of a changed life. The fruit of righteousness becomes evidenced in the believer's life. If a person professes to be a Christian, but they don't pray, they don't study the Bible, they're not interested in memorizing God's word or, or gathering together with other Christians, then there's a problem. The lack of fruit indicates a lack of the Spirit of God working in that person's life. So I wonder, is that you? If it is, then you need to fall on your face before God. You need to cry out for this new heart. Confess your desperate need for him to, to save you so that you might no longer love sin, but you would love God and love his ways. For God alone is the one that can change your heart and imprint that way of righteousness within you that results in you becoming an inheritor of his kingdom. Well, there is one more response that Paul calls us to. It says that that's expected of the individual in whom God is at work. Notice that man's intentional reaction leads to reception. You know, after all has been said in the sermon on this chapter, some might wonder if Paul is somehow saying that the Christian should be or even could be without sin. And the answer to that is absolutely not. Paul's not saying that Christians don't sin or even that they don't struggle with those old habits. But he is saying that Christians have been radically changed by the relationship that they now have with God because of God's great and powerful work in them through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. He has taken us from our enslavement to sin. He has set us free if we will receive his grace and forgiveness. And that's why the closing verse, Romans 6.23, has become a verse that so many Christians have memorized. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift. The free gift of this new life that he offers up to us for anyone who will believe, anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ. Will you come to him today? The Lord Jesus Christ is calling out to you. And he's saying, come. And in the book of Revelation, after the whole of the Bible is finished. In chapter 22 of Revelation, the scripture says that, the, that Christ says to us, come. Come. And the bride of Christ, that is the church, says, come. To all who are thirsty, let them come to receive that free gift 
of eternal life, that heart of transformation that God wants to work in you. Don't be satisfied with staying out in that sinful life of spiritual homelessness where you're separated from God, separated from God's family, and separated from eternity. Come to him today. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then rejoice. Where the Apostle Paul gives thanks because God has worked in you this powerful life transformation. And let your life be a response to that so that people will see what it means for you to be living in the family of God. And so, in conclusion, I want to ask you, if you have you become overwhelmed by the God of wondrous grace who has saved you in spite of the fact that you were formerly a rebel against him? Have you had a heart transformation? If you have, then live out a life of love for him and out of a passion that he has placed in you for righteousness and for truth. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this great news that we have in Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul begins it by saying, should we continue in sin? And he ends it by saying, no, because living in sin is death. But God is offering this great gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Father, if there are those that are listening to this message today, and they have come to realize that they are spiritually homeless, that their life really is empty without you, oh, that you might stir their hearts and begin that great work of putting a new heart within them, imprinted with the beauty of Jesus Christ so that they might desire to serve you as indentured servants and in doing so become an heir of God, adopted into your family. Oh, that we might respond out of not only a, a sense of thanksgiving for what you've done, but, but simply out of this new life that you've given to us. For those who are, are believers today, Oh, Lord God, lift our eyes up. Let us look back and see the horrible life of our past and look to the future and see the glory of the celestial city and seek to honor and glorify you through all that we say and all that we do. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The message today has challenged Christians to realize that God has done such a powerful work in the life of a Christian, that the Christian must respond with repentance and obedience. What great promises and living realities we are given through faith in Jesus Christ. God is so good. If you want to know more about the truths discussed today or have any questions about the Christian faith, please contact us at metbaptist@outlook.com or check out our website at www.metbaptist.com.